1: It is Tuesday, December 15th, 2015. I am MMA Torch editor Jamie Penick, and I am joined by Todd Martin for a special uh, additional UFC 194 and three event weekend review. Uh, Todd was in person last week in Las Vegas for all three events. So, Todd, thank you for joining me today. I wanted to get your in-person reaction to... What went down on a massively busy, action-packed, and really historical week for the UFC, um, ending in two changing of the guard moments uh, in the middleweight and featherweight divisions on Saturday night. So just before we go into specifics, how was the, uh, the weekend as a whole with three events and three nights, how did that really come off in vegas did did they pull it off well was it too much was what was the feel like in vegas for the fans who were uh, attending that and for the media members covering it in uh in las vegas
2: that was a great weekend of fights i mean so many uh so many terrific fights over the course of three days there was a lot of fun i think in terms of the question about the idea of whether like to like three shows was was too much or whatnot, it felt like the, the first two shows were sort of insulated from the other one, in the sense that it was in a small ballroom, there weren't that many people there, there wasn't anywhere near the Irish contingent that there was for the, uh, the main show in on UFC 194. So it really sort of felt like two things going on. You had the two smaller shows with sort of a hardcore audience, and then you had the weigh-ins and UFC 194 itself with a big audience, and... All, you know, all the Irish in particular, but also a lot of Brazilians, people from different places, coming in for the event. So it didn't really feel like the first two fights really had that much of an effect um, on the third night, other than just uh, not making you feel like uh, you were uh, going through, a, 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 I guess, a early withdrawals of, of not having the fights yet, sort of wanting them to come, and uh, them not being ready yet on Thursday and Friday.
1: Yeah, a little bit of an appetizer into... Uh... The, the main course on Saturday. I, I want to start Saturday. The UFC 194, the, the biggest talking points are out of 194 here, and really right in the main event, Conor McGregor knocks Jose Aldo out in 13 seconds in essentially the first real exchange of the fight. After a couple little minor um, uh, kicks and uh, whatever thrown out by uh, McGregor, Aldo comes in. McGregor times his counter perfectly drops Aldo and lands a couple of hammer fists and it's all done a year of buildup and so much talking a 10-year career for Jose or a 10-year unbeaten run for Jose Aldo only UFC featherweight champion until now and it's over in 13 seconds how did that moment come across in the arena?
2: I mean, it's a remarkable story. I mean, the, there are people that will talk a lot of trash, although few talk as much as, as Conor has, because you're really sort of setting yourself up for a downfall. Um, if you talk a lot and you don't deliver on, on what you're talking about, you just sort of set yourself up as a, as a source of ridicule. So not a lot of people want to do that. Um, and and Conor, from the moment that he came into UFC, he was talking a big, big game about what he was going to do. And I don't think there were a lot of people out there who thought that there was much of a possibility that he was going to be able to deliver um, on what he said? Just because it's very difficult for anyone to accomplish that much in, in such a short period of time. And here we are, less than three years later uh, from when, you, when, when Connor came in, and uh, he he did everything that he said he was going to do. I mean, it's 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 incredible. I mean, it was it's almost like through through sheer force of will, this guy came in there and you know he, he was running through opponents left and right the the question was how he do once he gets got to top opposition and the answer was quite well you know the second round knockout of of, of chad mendez in uh a few months ago and then the 13 second knockout of this guy that's been been undefeated for such a long period of time it's you know it's a, it's an incredible story um and, and as far as the, the atmosphere obviously uh, there were so many irish fans there and it was just sort of the uh Sort of the uh, perfect result for them. I mean, everybody jumping up and down. I, I tweeted out a photo that that uh, afterwards that I just found remarkable as I was walking out, and the 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 the, the ground on the floor was flooded as if there had been some sort of like the water main had broken or something with, with just beer Mm. everywhere. Like, like, like there'd been a flood. It it was, I I have no idea how people got out of there, like dry. You know, I think they were just throwing stuff everywhere and just making an incredible mess. I've never seen anything like it at a sporting event. And obviously beer flows freely at a lot of sporting events. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, It was an incredible atmosphere and an incredible accomplishment for for uh, for McGregor.
1: Yeah, it seemed absolutely chaotic in there and then in the MGM afterward. But I'm assuming you went to the post-fight press conference. Yeah. Okay. that was just as fascinating to me at the end of that as uh, a lot of what happened in the cage, because. The, the the big shift here is not not only was Conor McGregor one of the UFC's big stars, biggest stars coming in, he he might have taken that mantle by force on Saturday night, and uh, he set himself up <laughs> with essentially his own press conference at the end of the regular press conference, and it was really interesting to watch him hold court as kind of his own promoter, and that's that's the mindset he has. And he's looking to pretty much change the mold for himself. I don't know uh, how many are going to be able to follow suit, but this is a man who's going to command a uh, a much larger piece of the pie. And I think the UFC is going to have to uh, come to terms with that very shortly.
2: Yeah, it was very interesting for for the exact reasons you lay out. And we'll see where it goes from here uh, a lot of discussion after the event um, amongst uh, amongst media members about where exactly this goes and what exactly you do if you're in the ufc i mean mcgregor has a a lot of leverage ufc also has a lot of leverage i think if you get into a sort of uh you know a battle where both sides are, are dug in i think ufc has the advantage because they've got a lot more money mcgregor runs through money very quickly and He's not going to be able to just go fight somewhere else immediately. Um, so there's, I think they have more leverage than he does, but they don't want to get into a, a public uh, dispute with one of their top stars over money. I mean, it's just it's it's a it's a bad look, even if McGregor weren't as popular as he, as he is. So it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes from here. McGregor as you, you notice, know, looking for a lot of power. The Foso first come press conference was very interesting you know he, he clearly was as you mentioned uh, uh presenting himself like the promoter and that's that's not a role that fighters are, are, are playing in the ufc and if he's looking for some sort of co-promotion where he can get a bigger piece of the pie a la floyd mayweather or a lot of people have done in boxing i think that's something that ufc is not at all going to be keen on doing and the question is if he's dead set on it, how, what, what sort of repercussions would that have? Um, as you also mentioned, there's only a limited number of guys that would be able to command that sort of thing. So UFC might say, hey, we'll give this to Conor McGregor, and if John Jones comes looking for the same deal, well, he's John Jones, you know, like no, no offense, to John Jones, who's a star and who's who's, you know, a tremendous fighter. But he doesn't have the cachet that Conor McGregor has or is likely to have in the coming years as far as pay-per-view attraction, as far as commanding the money um, from the general public. So they can say, you know, look, to, to pretty much everyone, uh, you're, you're not Conor McGregor. You're not going to get that sort of deal. But when those guys come along, it, you know, you, you are setting a precedent if you give them that sort of thing uh, for someone like Ronda Rousey, for someone like George St. Pierre. And when the next person like that comes along for them to gain more power than I think UFC would like to have. Now, UFC has advantages over a lot of boxing promoters who are sort of put in this situation, in that with boxing, you can sort of pick a few guys, make those individual fights, and do quite well for yourself. With MMA, there's an expectation, number one, that you're going to have a card. Um, so you need, like, you know, top-to-bottom actual card that people are interested in seeing. Number two, you need a, a, a series of, opponents that people are going to be interested in and ufc has pretty much all of them locked up as opposed to in boxing where there are a number of different stables you know the Aram stable the 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 hayman state uh the, the hayman stable um the uh, yeah um the the obviously there's the uh uh there's some, there's K2, there's a number of different promoters. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling remembering them off the top of my head after a, a long weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean the, it's a different situation in, in MMA where there's a limited number of promoters and there's a limited number of, of fighters that are actually available out there for you to match make. You need, you sort of need to go through UFC more, and that gives them more power. But Conor, Conor is riding a a lot of momentum right now, and he's obviously going to get a lot of money and a, a lot, I think, better deal than anybody that's come before him because he has so much leverage.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned this a couple of times over the weekend, but it's one of those situations where we talk about fighter pay quite a bit. And at the low end, obviously, he, we want to see fighters actually getting paid like they're a professional athlete. But at the high end, th- there's also a lack of, uh, adequate pay. Hey, despite the millions of dollars that are going to some of these names, look at the money that was brought in on Saturday night. Ten ten million gate. Uh over a million on pay per view they're they're saying already, which at if, if it's a million, their cuts around uh twenty eight, twenty nine million of that. Uh add in advertising revenue, which is going to be significant for a card uh, of this Value. It, it's not unreasonable for Conor McGregor to want, at a minimum, twenty million of that. He was responsible for a large amount of that, and he, he, that's at that end where McGregor should be, and that's what he's going to be fighting for.
2: Yeah, I mean that's. I think you're certainly looking at that sort of a, of a guarantee. Actually, someone else threw that that exact number at me over the course of the weekend, and um, they sort of presented as almost sort of foregone conclusion that that sort of money he could command. And I was I was a little hesitant. I mean that 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 takes a big chunk of the pie if you're guaranteed 20 million, and not every fight's going to be as big as this one. So um, I, I don't know if I'm UFC. If if I'm throwing out a 20 million dollar guarantee for Conor McGregor, I think. I think there's a decent shot that if you're throwing that sort of money for him, that you lose money on some of the events that he's on, which is certainly not a position any promoter wants to be in. Um, but I mean, it's certainly it's certainly in the realm of possibility as far as what he could ask. Uh, yeah, you go you
1: is. go revenue contingent to an extent, but for an event of this level, at a minimum, that's that's where he should be getting. That's the that's the level of chunk of this type of card he should be getting for his responsibility in bringing that type of revenue in to begin with.
2: Um, I, mean, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I mean, I, I think, I mean, that's, uh, I certainly think it's justifiable, but as far as like that being a minimum of what he should be getting, I mean that you're talking about at that point, given that there are a lot of expenses that go out that we, that we, that we don't talk about from the marketing of the car to the paying of all the other fighters, I mean, in terms of profits, you're talking about. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what the exact books on it, but I think you're looking at him getting, you know, eighty to ninety percent of the profits if you're paying him that much. As far as that being sort of a a bare minimum of what he should be making, I I, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, he certainly is worth a lot of money I, to UFC. I think but... you I th-
1: I think you're getting my uh point across just a little bit because I'm saying for this particular card, with how much revenue was generated on this particular event. Not as a minimum going forward, it's still revenue contingent. As even far, for this one, yeah.
2: even for this one though, I mean, because you're talking about, uh, as we mentioned before, if you're talking about about forty million dollars in revenue, let's say
1: that's before advertising revenue though, which could be a significant chunk on top of that. I,
2: I mean, I, I mean, they're making some, some on that, but not, not a, not a ton uh, in terms of, in terms of those sorts of things, and they've got to pay out. All the fighters, they had um, another championship fight. Um, obviously, Josie Aldo's cut. They spent a ton of money marketing the card. Um, you're talking about—I I, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, it, it, obviously, there are a bunch of different, uh, different um, setups for different sports, and in some yeah. sports, the athletes have a lot more leverage and are able to get a lot bigger cut than in other sports. Um, if you're talking about the percentages of what.
4: That's chumbacasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. ...are getting in, say, the NBA or uh, or, or the NFL. You're, you're talking about they're making much less as far as a percentage of what, of, of, the, of as far as a piece of the pie, much less than, than that sort of money. Um, if you're talking about boxing, frequently boxing, art boxers are able to command that sort of that sort of money. But as we talked about before, the apparatus of the UFC is much more important to, to, to the UFC's success. Yeah. Um, than the the boxing apparatus is, is important to the boxing success and we frequently see with these sorts of cards that the boxers end up um the, the 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 boxing promotions end up losing money you know the last mayweather fight lost a ton of money now obviously that's that that's moot when you're talking about your point which was we're talking about this specific card as opposed to cards going forward yeah but but still um even on the big ones that's that's a big chunk. I mean, obviously we're, we're working with, uh, we're in the dark a little bit because we don't know exactly how yeah. much money everywhere is coming in, but I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to um, to endorse that sort of being a fair deal, you know, objectively, I think, you know, I think that's a, a talking point. If I'm Connor's people, I'm, you know, the, I, I'm certainly going that way, but, you know, if I, I'd have to look at the numbers, you know, and have the numbers in front of me to, Sort of gauge how that, what sort of uh, what sort of alignment you'd want to have relative to a lot of other sports and relative to what would sort of be fair given what all the parties are bringing to the table.
1: Outside of the monetary future, Connor's other uh, main point on Saturday night was his desire to move up to lightweight, take that title, and be a dual champion in the UFC. He, he, he talked quite a bit about this at the post-fight press press conference, and he, there's already been talk that he could face the winner of Rafael Dos Anjos versus Donald Cerrone from this Saturday's UFC on Fox card. Um, there are a lot of things at play right now with Conor McGregor, because unlike, say, Holly Holm uh, upsetting Ronda Rousey and that rematch being the biggest money fight for Holly Holm, I'm not... Can, I'm, I'm not sure that Jose Aldo is the biggest money fight for Conor McGregor because he's the star. He's the, the the fighter who pulled off the upset as the star, and he's got a number of options that have merit in their own right. And I'm not entirely certain, still a few days later, which one is the best way to go. So, Todd, I want to ask you, between Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo rematch, Dosanio Cerrone winner, what do you think is the biggest money fight for Conor McGregor's next fight? What do you think will be made?
2: I think they're the, I think they're the same thing. I think Conor's going to watch that Dos Años versus Cerrone fight. If Cowboy wins, he's going to take the fight with Cowboy. If Cowboy loses, he's going to take the fight with Frankie Edgar. Um, I think that's the cow- – he didn't spell that out, but I think that's what he's thinking as well. Um, the cowboy Cerrone fight I think is the biggest of the options because they don't like each other. you can get some trash talk. Uh, Cowboy's very marketable in his own right, even though he's never been a drawing card, but I think the potential is there for that sort of thing. And you've got the story with the next mountain to climb. And I think that's something that Connors recognizes is a hook in anything. You've always got to have that next mountain to climb in order for everything to feel important. And so he came here, he he accomplished his goal. He became the number one featherweight in the world. And here now he's got another goal. I'm going to go after that lightweight title. Um, it You know, it's, it's a dangerous move. I mean, that's a, a a very loaded division. He won't have the same um, size advantage. We don't know how the the power is going to translate into that division. But from a monetary standpoint, you know, I think that's probably the the, the 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 smart move is you can make more money going up there, finding the new challenge, setting up the intrigue of him going after someone else. Cerrone is someone. That commands a lot of attention in that regard. Dos Anjos not so much. I, I I would be very surprised if his next fight is against Dos Anjos. And Frankie Edgar is also uh, you know a marketable opponent. He's he's very well liked. Um, he's on on a roll. He's a very good fighter. That's a fight that you can sell as well. Um, and I think that's the other fight that they're looking at right now. Although if you were just looking at which fight makes the most money, I still think that you can make a lot of money with the Jose Aldo rematch. I Absolutely. think Aldo yeah. is very Frustrated, and the story of this guy, you know, saying, you know, this was a fluke. I'm going to prove it was a fluke. Uh, You know, being even more motivated than he was the first time. I think is uh, is something you can sell as well, and might even be able to sell better than Frankie Edgar. Although uh, nobody. (laughs) And nobody seems sympathetic to this point of view. I was I was much higher on the idea of a Jose the rematch than anybody I talked to in Las Vegas. Everyone was like, no, you should give the, the, the fight to Frankie. And it's, it's understandable. Frankie's a very well-liked guy, and he very much deserves a title shot.
1: Yeah, I mean, Frankie's in this spot just to bounce around over to Friday night. His knockout over Chad Mendez was fantastic. And it, it, it's at the point where what more could he possibly do to prove that he deserves that fight?
2: Yeah, I mean he's he's gone through uh, most of the, the the best fighters in, in that weight class, and uh, that was a, a spectacular win over over a very tough opponent in Chad Mendez and a very motivated opponent coming off a loss as well. Um, and, and he's been uh, that's five in a row for Frankie against consistently a pretty darn good level of opposition. He's a guy that's you know that's earned a shot. Although I mean I I, I certainly don't feel like there's I mean. It would feel like an injustice in, if he didn't get the shot, in the sense that he'd been promised a shot, and he really had done a lot to deserve it. But I, I think it's hard to argue against the idea that this guy, who had dominated the division for forever, would get a rematch after losing the title. I mean, that's yeah. you know they gave the they gave the rematch to Ronda Rousey, and I don't think anyone is well, they haven't given it to her yet, but they're going to. I don't think anyone's complaining about that for obvious reasons. And so there's a I think a, a merit to the idea that Jose Aldo would. Merit <laughs> a rematch. Oh, absolutely, and I think that's why,
1: I, I think that's why all three fights, uh, all three possibilities, are realistic options for the UFC. The Cerrone fight is is huge. The Edgar fight is huge. The Aldo fight rematch is huge. There, are, there are a lot of good things about each of those fights, and they can be easily sold by the UFC. So, it's going to come down to who's ready to go when. Uh, mcgregor wants to fight because he he made that clear too he wants to be an active champion last thing on the featherweight division here do you think that the ufc will actually uh, go along with mcgregor's idea of being a dual champion and not vacating his belt if he moves up to challenge for the lightweight title
2: I don't think they want it, but I think Connor's going to be able to dictate a lot at this point in time, and I Great. think he's sort of he's sort of dictating that at this point. It was interesting in general when he's talking about the opponents, because usually what champions will say in the position of Conor McGregor is, you know, like I I like this fight, I like that fight, I'll wait and see, you know, what the UFC is going to, you know, I'll talk with UFC and we'll, you know, figure out what the next fight is. Um, or even, you know, or that's actually sort of on, on sort of the far end of the spectrum. It's just, you know, like I won that fight. I'm happy about winning that fight. I'll, you know, I'll wait to see who UFC has for me next. I and mean, that's frequently the mentality of champions in UFC. Conor McGregor didn't outright say this, but the way he talked, it was very much, I'm going to pick who my next opponent is, which is, yep. you know, a different, a different mentality. Um, and, and I think, I think one that, um, even if he is doing that, I think he'd be wise to sort of avoid making it come across too overt, because I think the psychology of the champion who has the promotion bring the best guy to him is better than the idea that you're picking opponents. I mean, that's something that Mayweather, in particular, has been criticized—that you're, you know, you're, you're hand selecting the guys that you want yeah. as opposed to being brought the the most deserving challenger. Yeah, at
1: at this particular moment. You know, him dictating between three names who all would uh, represent significant challenge and intrigue, I I don't know that uh, it would hurt him too much, but going forward, that could become an issue, definitely.
2: And even if it doesn't hurt, I think it's just a better look to have the idea that he's being... He is being, uh, being fed the guys that, that the promoter think is the best, thinks is the, uh, the best opposition. Because UFC, I mean, you can, you can criticize different aspects of UFC, but one thing that's great about the UFC relative to most combat sports over the history of combat sports is they make the matches people want to see. They, you know, they, they put good fighters against good fighters, they get them to fight each other and then they get the next, you know, the next best guy, they get the champion to fight the next best guy over and over and over again. And it's it's really refreshing if you watch other combat sports to have that where you're sort of waiting for the guys that you want to see and they circle and they haggle and they fight other guys that are obviously being set up fights. And you'll see that doesn't happen. You know, you get Luke Rockwell versus Chris Weidman. you get you Romero versus Jacques Sousa you get the best guys fighting the best guys in really intriguing matchups all the time. Let's talk about those middleweights
1: because uh, the... Look at that
2: segue I set yeah, up for you. Nicely
1: done. <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that co-main event itself uh, was... It, it would have been absolutely satisfying as a main event. It, it was a main, main event level fight, and it would have been a satisfying conclusion to any other card. We just happened to get Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo after it. Luke Rockhold beat the crap out of Chris Weidman and Herb Dean had a shameful refing performance with the way that third round ended. This one should have, uh, should have ended with at least 20 seconds left in the third round. Instead, Weidman took a bunch more damage, got taken down again in the fourth round and ate more damage um, before it was finally stopped three minutes into that frame. Rockhold, massively impressive. Weidman, I don't, he looked kind of off at times. Some of that was definitely from the body work that Rockhold uh, did in the second round, which was his his most effective round until the last minute of the third. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sh- uh, sure we saw Weidman anywhere close to his best, but no excuses thrown out. Rockhold looked fantastic, um, for most of it, even though he tired out himself and we have a new UFC middleweight champion.
2: Yeah. I don't draw any conclusions about why not being at his best. I think he just ran into a buzzsaw. It was a, a, a bad matchup for him. Um, Luke Rockhold, I, you know, Luke Rockhold is a really good fighter and it's sort of taken, I think a lot of us, some of us longer than others, to figure out just how good Luke Rockhold is. But, I mean, he's been looking good for years and years against increasingly tough opposition. And there was, there, there was every hint in the world that Luke Rockhold had the potential to destroy Chris Weidman watching Luke Rockhold's recent fights where he'd just been dispatching people. He had a length advantage. He had a strength advantage. He, was, he presented a lot of difficulties for Chris Weidman, and stylistically – was a lot more difficult than um, than than a lot of Weidman's recent opponents in terms of the way that they matched up with Weidman. I Weidman I I still think Weidman is 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 an excellent fighter. He showed great courage here in, in in what was a tough fight and really weathered um really tried to get through some really bad situations. But he was just in there with a really good opponent. I mean I would sort of compare it to you know well. I mean, it's sort of a little bit of a deal, but it's sort of a Rich Franklin Anderson Silva. Rich Franklin was a great champion in his own right, but Anderson Silva was just better than him. And I'd I, I, like to be, I, I actually like to be wrong on this because I do respect Weidman a lot, but I think this is a matchup where if they met, you know, uh, 20 times, Luke Rockwell's winning 18 or 19 of those, if not 20. Um, I think he's just a better fighter than Chris Weidman. That's my opinion. As far as the, uh, the non stoppage by, by, herb dean i think that shameful is is a strong word i wouldn't go that far i definitely particularly given that you're talking about it proud undefeated champion i can understand the mentality of giving him the benefit of the doubt but i definitely agreed with you in thinking the fight should have been stopped um weidman was just getting absolutely brutalized and i think if it hadn't been at the end of the round Um, he would have stopped the fight. I think he was just like, okay, there's a little bit of time left. You know, like, I've sort of committed. And then, I think at about, like, 20 seconds left, he'd sort of committed to the idea that he was going to give him the end of the round. And then, as he's just pouring it on, he didn't step in. And I think, at that point, like, around, like, 15 second mark, it should have been pretty obvious because at that point, he was just getting absolutely annihilated. And yeah, I I, I do wish that the fight had been stopped. I think it was a bad decision. I, I can understand the mentality, so I'm not I'm not as apt to condemn it in such strong terms, but yeah, I thought it was the wrong decision, and uh, and Wyman took more punishment than I, I think he should have, um, being mounted and just getting uh, annihilated with big punches. Yeah, this
1: this is this is where it's really frustrating watching MMA refing because with the with the same ref, you have such a uh, Incon- such an inconsistency in the way that they apply their own mindset onto fights. And you're right. He, he, he decided at one point there down the stretch that he was just going to let it go pending, you know, Weidman going out cold and he made the decision far too early with how much damage was still to come uh, because it, it was, it could have been stopped at about 25 seconds left by 20 seconds, it should have been stopped. By 15, it was already egregious. And the last 10 seconds was completely unnecessary. And this is the same Herb Dean who had
4: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
3: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Has had some quick step-ins himself throughout his refing career. And, you know, yes, it's a championship fight. Yes, we're in that. He's still there to protect the fighter from himself. And that's the biggest issue that I have with uh, really late stoppages is, you know, fighters are never going to want to um, have a fight be stopped. They don't want to have it taken away from them.
2: Well, well, unless you're Bob Sapp.
1: <laughs> <laughs> unless you're Bob Sapp, yes, yes, that's the quickest way to a payday. Um, but they they don't want it taken away from them, and it's his job to take it away from them when something like that is happening.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I, you laid out why he should have stopped the fight. Yeah. I, I'm, I just, uh, refing is is a tough job, and I particularly understand it in the context of a big fight with someone where the stakes are so high, where this guy has, you know, has been undefeated throughout his career. He's fighting for his title. I, I That that to me, while, while some would argue that you should ref it, you know, completely the same, regardless of who it is. I, I, and I mean, there's certainly a strong fairness argument from that aspect. I've always thought that if, and this is something John McCarthy is, has also advocated, Um, you know, the guy that, him and him and Herb Diener, you know why they regard as is the top refs in mMA has talked about the idea of I'm going to give a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt to to a you know to a champion, particularly a dominant champion and i I, I get that mentality given how subjective it is in the decision yeah. um, with that said I, I you laid out exactly why you should have stopped the fight um, and you, I, I think if if you didn't watch the fight. Um, And I think probably everyone that's listening to this has, but I mean, this was, this was as brutal a ground and pound as you're going to see. I mean, he was, I mean, he was just massacring the guy and his face was just a terrible mess afterwards. And it was, you know, it was was a sad sight to see because he really, he really got brutalized.
1: Uh, I want to talk more about the future of middleweight, but we have to talk about Yoel Romero, Jacare Souza to get into that conversation as well. Romero catches Jacare with the spinning backfist in the first round, nearly finishes him off. Jacare has enough in him to attempt a couple of submissions, even though they were ineffective. He was wobbly back to his stool. The second round had another interesting referee moment, uh, both positive and slightly negative from Mark Goddard, um, because Romero wound up getting top position on Jacare because he held on to the cage and by letting go, gain the momentum to gain a top position. Goddard rightly uh, stood them up to not give him that position because of the fence grab. Did not take a point, did not reset them up against the cage where Jacare had been clinching and attempting uh, a takedown. And that decision, well, not necessarily... Uh, a bad one or the wrong one in the context of this situation Uh, you know those were options to him to take a point or reset them up against the cage but that decision kind of changed the outcome of the fight because a lot of people thought Jacare still won that second round but two of the judges wound up giving it to Romero and he got back into space in the striking department in that second round because of that stand-up um whereas Jacare had closed distance on him prior to that. So, you know, obviously Jacare didn't do enough down the stretch. He won the third round, didn't do enough to clearly take that second round. But interesting that that one moment kind of wound up being a pivotal piece of what happened at the end of that fight.
2: I'm not not an advocate of taking points, Um, if it's at all possible to not take a point in MMA. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but this has been a big... Uh, contentious point of mine o- over the years is that the point deduction system in MMA is just stupid. Um, it, it's it's been brought over from boxing, where your top fights are 12 rounds, and so if there's a, pa- a rule infraction, you take away one point, um, which in the course of 12 rounds is something that doesn't uh, have that big of an effect. When you're talking about three rounds, taking away a, a-, a point has four times the impact that it did for what it was originally intended for you've made the foul the point deductions so much more um uh important to a fight than it was originally intended in the way it should be in my opinion you know it, it to me it would be like the equivalent of a 20 minute power play i think it's just stupid in almost every context to take away a point now uh, uh, there are occasionally times when a foul is so flagrant and so clearly illegal, and the fighter should have known it was so clearly illegal that I can justify it in my head. Like the with the Tony Ferguson point deduction, actually, the night the night before, it was such a clear infraction of this big kick to the head to a grounded opponent. To me, that's sort of thing where I was like, okay, that's that's a fine point deduction. But here, the problem with, with, with grabbing the fence is that it's instinctive. You know, yeah. if you're falling down, you instinctively grab for something. That's why people People – well, I assume people know that if you put back your hands when you fall down, that, that's how you frequently get hurt when you're falling, is you put your hand in the wrong position and you break a wrist or you break your arm because you shouldn't be putting your hand out there. But it's just instinctive, even if you know you shouldn't do it. So in that sort of situation, I'm not – I'm, I'm just uh, – or, or eye-poking is even more um, egregious along the lines of what I'm talking about because I think they're pretty much always accidental – um, and then even more so is the low blows, which are even less likely to be um, intended than the eye pokes in the context of MMA. I just, I'm just not a fan of taking point deductions. And this fight to me would be a perfect example. Of why not? To. Why, why would you want the, the, the fight to come down to the judge deciding to, the referee deciding to take a point here and that being the difference in the fight. I, I don't think you want that to be the difference in any fight. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem with that as far as the, the fight overall. I thought, I, I scored the fight for Jacare. I thought that, uh, that Yo Romero did very well in the first round, but it wasn't quite enough to make it a 10-8 round, um, for me. And I did give Jacare the, the, the second round narrowly. So I had him winning the fight, but I certainly didn't have any problem with, with the scores coming the way they did because the second round was very close. Um, and to me, the guy that did better in the fight was Yolo Romero, um, you know, cause his first round, was clearly the best offense of the entire fight. That was the most success either fighter had, and the rest of the fight was relatively even. Jacare had the advantage late in the round, but it was nowhere near the advantage that Romero did at the beginning. So it felt just that he won the fight, even under the 10-point must system I gave for Jacare. Uh,
1: that, the, the middleweight division is in an in interesting spot here because the way that fight played out, you know, Romero had a great first round, didn't do anything down the stretch for the most part and looked like he kind of gassed himself out. And he's had some moments like that before, but he still beat Jacare Souza here um, in a, a reasonably justifiable decision because of that first round. Luke Rockhold uh, taking the title here. Had it been Jacare beating Romero Rockhold Jacare rematch, easy, done. Now, Rockhold wants Vitor Belfort's head on a silver platter, as he said after the event. Um, I, I think that's the fight that they wind up making over the Romero fight, um, even though Belfort himself hasn't uh, earned another shot at the middleweight championship. I, I think the result of these two fights was the best and worst thing that happened to Vitor Belfort, because he's going to get another title fight, but I think he's going to get beat by Luke Rockhold badly in the rematch.
2: I, I don't think so, and God, I hope
1: not. God, I hope not.
2: I think that Yoel Romero has done much, much, much more to deserve a title shot than Vitor Belfort. I think it's a more interesting fight than Vitor Belfort. I can understand why Rockhold would that, want that fight, but to me, um, I, think, I think Romero is clearly the right pick for the fight. Um, I, I just the, the, the thing with Vitor, besides the fact that he looked, has his, his looked terrible. Um, uh, uh, well I guess he I guess he beat henderson i mean it's henderson at this point um he looked terrible against against weidman um we're in the you know the the the, the post t r t era the expanded drug testing era, and there's just a whole stink to Vitor Balfour in his entire career that i I just don't like seeing the guy at all at this point, quite frankly, let alone getting another title shot that to me he hasn't earned at all. I, I I would I would hate that decision if they made it, and I, I tend to think they won't. I, I know why Luke would want that fight, but I think Yoel Romero is is the next challenger. Uh,
1: the the next three fights all had uh, on the UFC 194 card all had interesting title implications or at least title picture implications. Damian Maya looked fantastic uh, in outworking Gunnar Nelson on the ground. Max Holloway had a serviceable fight, but possibly a step back against Jeremy Stevens. And then Uriah Faber um, battled through uh, against a tough opponent in Frankie Science. still took a clear decision and nearly finished him in the second. But Science gave a, a more of a fight in that than I think most expected. So here you have Maya at welterweight uh, calling out for a title shot. I don't think he's there yet, but he's got an argument for it. Um, in a division that is not necessarily entirely clear because of some fights dropping out and, you know, Teron Woodley having not fought in, in quite some time, even though he seems like he's the next challenger. Um, I wanted to see Maya Johnny Hendricks, and then right after that fight, they decided to announce Johnny Hendricks against Steven Wonderboy Thompson. So I'm not entirely sure what you do with Maya next, but he's right in that conversation. Holloway is obviously behind Frankie Edgar and and several, uh, or, and now Jose Aldo and possibly Donald Cerrone for a, a McGregor fight. Uh, but Uriah Faber, of the three names there, might be the one going into a title fight next, as it's entirely possible the UFC goes with the story uh, of him against the winner of Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw. How do you see things playing out for those three fighters, Maya Holloway Faber in their respective divisions here?
2: Um, Maya I, I agree I don't think that he's uh, in line for one of the next one of the, the next few people in line for a title shot but credit to him for trying. I mean good for him. Uh you know, try to try to talk yourself up about the idea of getting into the biggest fights in the division. I'd like to see him match up with the best guys. Maybe if he goes in there the next type, time takes one of the, you know, the top few guys at the uh you know top few contenders in that division maybe you can set them up for title shot afterwards i was very pleased with that fight i was worried going in that because you had two guys so many times over the years when you've got 2 jujitsu guys they don't want to do jujitsu with each other so they just strike and this fight was sort of the the example of why because when you're so good at jujitsu, i think there's a real pride to it and being dominated on the ground. When you think that you're really good on the ground, I think is something that really takes away from someone's pride when that's their strength and credit to Gunnar Nelson. He went in there and he, he decided to, 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 to really go at it in, in the ground game with Damian Maya, who everyone knows is just, you know, otherworldly in that department. And it made for a fun fight. It made for an entertaining fight. And, you know, Gunnar got dominated, but credit to him for, for, for engaging in that game. And, uh, you know, Maya Maya's just a higher level. He's he's real good at the uh, at the ground game, and his standup's improved as well. But obviously, it's nowhere near his uh, his ground game. As far as Max Holloway and Jeremy Stevens, I thought Holloway looked uh, I I want to use a really bad word, but I guess he didn't look awful or dreadful. I think he, I thought he just looked bad. Um, you know, he was he, he he wasn't getting off. He wasn't really throwing that much. Just sort of looked like he didn't care that much, and I thought I thought he had a lot of nerve after the fight, talking about wanting you know Conor McGregor in Hawaii. It was like I I've seen a lot of guys turn in weak performances over the years. I I don't know if I've ever seen somebody turn in a performance like that, and then ask to be handed basically you know the 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 golden fight you know the perfect matchup um, for him, and in his home you know his home not the perfect matchup in the sense of like matching up, but in terms of like the ideal, the biggest money option for you, and in your home state to boot. It's like, come on, dude. Save, save that BS for when you turn in a good performance. Um, so that was my opinion on Max Holloway. I came in with a, uh, a, a I would say, a significantly lower opinion of the guy than I went in, quite frankly. Um, as far as Uriah Faber and Frankie Signs, Uriah, I think, Uriah didn't look that great. I think it's probably a combination of he is fading to some degree, but you also got to give Signs a lot of credit. I mean, he fought a good fight. Um, he proved a very tough opponent, um, both in terms of um, engaging with, with Uriah on every level of the game and also weathering a storm in the second round when Uriah was really doing well against him. I was, I was impressed by and performance. As far as, as far as Uriah going forward, I, I, I think that him and Dillashaw is something that you do if Dillashaw wins in the sense that it's such a natural story, even if Uriah isn't at that level anymore, that I think it will generate a lot of interest. Uriah and Dominic Cruz, again, that, that doesn't interest me as much. I thought that Dominic Cruz won the second fight um, fairly, pretty solidly. And I think if they fought a third time, assuming that Cruz is healthy, um, I think that it would be even more one-sided, because I think Uriah has um, declined since then. So I, I'd be looking at the the Uriah-Dillashaw fight either way, quite frankly. If Dillashaw lost, Uriah and, and Dillashaw, if, Uriah, if, if Dillashaw won, Uriah Dillashaw. I wouldn't be looking at, uh,
1: at Uriah and Dominic Cruz. Uh, moving on, uh, just to, to wrap up.
0: With Lucky Land Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky.
4: A woohooer, a hand clap a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The uh, UFC 194 card, the, the prelims had a, had a couple of standout moments um Worley Alves had a really nice submission over Colby Covington and Leonardo Santos shocked with an upset against Kevin Lee stopping him in the first round um also Man Mustafaev defeated Joe Proctor by TKO Yancy Medeiros and Court McGee picked up decisions on uh fight pass as well any final thoughts on UFC 194 and we'll wrap up with some uh some quick thoughts on on Thursday and Friday night
2: um nothing too big i i just sort of going through the card here i thought Tisha torres uh didn't look particularly good hasn't been that impressive of late but won the fight solidly against jocelyn uh jones leiberger i was impressed by varley Alvis. thought a very very solid win over a tough opponent colby covington he is a very intriguing prospect and uh, a guy to be on the lookout for leonardo santos i think has is, is been underrated for a while uh, the odds were too long for this fight um He's got a really, really good ground game and he caught Kevin Lee in the standing as well. He is older, but you know, he's he's a he's a good fighter. Uh um, Mustafayev um, looked really good. Uh, you know, a lot of Russians have been looking good of late. He took care of Joe Proctor pretty easy. Uh again, Monero's split decision over John McDessie. I had it for McDessie. Um, but it was a close fight. It was a competitive fight. So no problem with Madero's getting the split decision. And then Court McGee against uh Marcio uh, Alexander Jr. Not a good fight, a lot of clinching, but um, a good third round for Court McGee where he was able to take him down, control him. And uh, it, was, it was good for Court getting a, uh, a win after having been out for a long period of time.
1: Uh, Friday night was the Ultimate Fighter 22 finale. Uh, we already talked about Frankie Edgar um, in, in the, the midst of the featherweight conversation. Tony Ferguson um, it, it did his best to make a case for you know getting into that lightweight title picture himself. Uh, but now with Conor McGregor in the conversation, Anthony Pettis still in there with the win over Eddie Alvarez in January, um, and, and, and others in the mix, Ferguson might be outside looking in. That said, if Conor McGregor comes up, we might be seeing Tony Ferguson Anthony Pettis sometime in uh, 2016, which would just be straight fire at this point. Um, I loved this fight with Tony Ferguson and Edson Barbosa, Recency bias has it in the mix for me as one of the fights of the year. Uh, I don't know if I can put it up um, really all the way up to the top, but it was just it was such a great back and forth fight, ending in such a, a fantastic transition. Um, how did that one play out for you live in the arena?
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Really fun fight. Um, I, I don't think big difference between seeing it on TV, seeing it live. It was just a you know a good fight that's going to translate under any context and yeah tony ferguson against anthony pettis that would be a hell of a fight um a lot of lot of good matchups for tony ferguson who's a fun fighter to watch edson barbosa is a fun fighter to watch in his own right it you know it it was a uh it was a very good matchup going in and it, it absolutely delivered and i'm looking forward to seeing what ferguson does next
1: um anything else you want to you want to comment on on the fs1 card we had the uh a lot of ultimate fighter competitors here with Ryan Hall, uh, beating Artem Lobov for the season title, even though Hall, uh, got beat by Lobov's originally scheduled opponent, Saul Rogers, during the season, um, that I don't care about the other two tough fights in Arosa, uh, Vajosek and grutzmacher Yoveris. Um, you also had to sit through possibly the single worst fight, um, <laughs> in the last five years between Gabriel Gonzaga and Konstantin Rokin. I'm sorry for that. Um
2: <laughs> I'm sorry too. Uh, but uh, I, think, I think everybody's sorry.
1: <laughs> Evan Dunham, Tatsuyu Kawajiri, Ryan Laflair and uh Gian Herrera all picked up wins on this card as well. Anything from Friday night else that stood out other than Frankie Edgar and Tony Ferguson to you? Oh right,
2: let's go here let's go through here uh super quick. Um I, I was I thought I that very I thought the season of ultimate fighter was very entertaining overall because the interplay between your and, uh and, and, uh, uh Connor was very good and you had some good fights, but as far as like coming out, like it really, it looks like a dreadful mix. Like you, you just, you had two guys in the finals, both of whom had already lost. Um, I thought it was, a, it was a bad fight. Some people, some people liked it, but I mean, to me, I thought both of them looked so rudimentary when out of their game, Artem just, I mean, he wasn't able to do anything on the ground and Ryan Hall wasn't able to do anything standing, and Hall wasn't able to finish Artem on the ground, even though Artem wasn't much of a ground fighter, I think Ryan Hall is going to do terribly, quite frankly, once he gets into main UFC competition, I mean, he he may flame out real quickly, which is a rarity for Ultimate Fighter winners, Um, and I feel kind of bad saying that, because he's a DC guy, but what can you do? I was not uh, impressed by him. Evan Dunham against uh, unanimous decision over Joe Lozon. A lot of people were down on Joe Lozon a lot. I, I thought it felt more competitive to me, honestly, than a lot of people seem to think. But Evan Dunham, I thought, clearly won the fight. And uh, Joe Lozon, it certainly wasn't, a, you know, one of his better performances. He's usually good for a pretty exciting fight. Uh, Tetsuya Karajiri, unanimous decision over Jason Knight. Just held him down. Nothing much to say there. Julian Rosa, Juicy J, had a lot of fans live. They were very much into him. Uh, the fight with uh, Marcin could have gone either way. Um, he got, uh, uh, Julian got the decision. That was fine. Gonzaga and Iroken, yeah, that was dreadful. Ryan Lefler, uh decision over Mike Pierce. Pierce did come on at the very end. I mean, Pierce has been out forever. Um, it felt like it took him a while to get back into the fight, although he was always sort of a slow starter. And by the time he sort of turned it on at the end of the fight, Laflair already had sort of had the thing wrapped up and uh, he picked up the decision there. Uh, maybe maybe the guy that, that did stand up the most of these guys is, is, is Gene Herrera, who uh, who scored a TKO in the second round over Joby Sanchez. I thought he looked really crisp. Um, his stand-up was impressive, and he had pretty good pretty good power for a, a flyweight. So that was a good performance. And then uh, the opener with uh, Chris Grutzemacher against uh, Abner uh, Yovaris was not particularly impressive, um, but uh, Grutzemacher, I think, uh, deserved the decision that he got.
1: Thursday night had a, a couple of the UFC's pushed prospects and Paige VanZant and Sage Northcutt on the card. Um, Paige didn't uh, didn't exactly live up to the hype. <laughs> she's she's a lot tougher than I think people um, necessarily knew before this because she hadn't uh, gone through the fire much. But the technique's not there, and she admitted as much afterward. She got just worked by Rose Nami Yunus for. Uh, 22 and a half minutes in that fight, uh, Rose looked, uh, very good throughout, but it was also, you know, not necessarily the level of competition she had faced in some of her other fights already to date. Um, cause well, Van Zant has been impressive, not necessarily up there with the most skilled in the division, um, thoughts on that main event.
2: I thought it was I thought it was an entertaining fight, which yeah. is saying something given how one-sided it I,
1: was. I, I said on Thursday that it was uh, about as entertaining as you could ever expect out of a one-sided fight like that.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. It was like the best squash ever. Like this. Because Rose, Rose just destroyed her everywhere. You know, she beat her up standing, beat her up standing, beat her up standing. Then she'd take her down, beat her up on the ground for a while, go for submissions. Again, back on the feet, she'd beat her up standing some more. It would just rinse and repeat. I mean, she was, I mean, I, I think, she, you know, she might very well have, have won every single five-second period in the entire fight. Um,
1: Paige just wouldn't go away.
2: That's, yeah, that's no, what but, it was. Exactly. That's the thing, is like... Paige, yeah, she didn't, she didn't do that well in terms of, like, the fight itself, and I think the problem was that she's a pressure fighter, and when she tried to pressure Rose, Rose would just, you know, counter her immediately, and so she didn't know what to do. She didn't know whether to move in. She didn't know whether to back off. She, didn't, she just didn't have any answers for how to deal with this puzzle because whatever she did, she was getting beaten, so she was just sort of, I think, sort of stuck in, in, in quicksand, but she showed so much heart. You know, she kept coming, you know, uh, bleeding from 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 the face, uh, you know, go, uh, constantly in these bad submission predicaments, including an arm bar that looked like it was bent at a real bad angle. And she just kept fighting. I, I thought that, you know, I, I even think there was an argument that Paige actually, in a way, came out, out, out of this fight better than she went in, in the sense that you had to just admire her courage. And it wasn't like going in, the idea was like, oh, Paige Van Zandt, she's the best you know, she's, she's going to be the next Ronda Rousey. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't the deal with Paige Van Sant. She's just a very attractive uh, girl who can fight pretty well. And they thought was marketable Um, and, and is an, has a nice personality. they thought they could just market that overall package, sort of like Gina Carano back in the day, as opposed to someone who's going to be a, a dominant fighter. And I thought coming in, you just, you, you, she came across so likable and, and you had to admire her heart. And And one thing I was really impressed by was after the fight, um, you know, she did show show so much heart. But when she, you know, when she was leaving the cage and, and walking to the back, she looked so angry. And I, I thought that was a great sign, because like it wasn't like she was sort of like resigned or sad or even that she was happy with what happened. She just looked like, I wish, hey, I wish I I wish I could have done better." And so I I just imagine her going, you know, after this fight, going back to her, her camp and saying, "Geez, I need to I need to work on everything. I need to really, uh, you know." bring up all aspects of my game so I can go in there and look better next time out, which is the the disposition that you want.
1: Um, there's one fighter in particular from Thursday's card that I don't want to undercut, and I'm uh, unfortunately a little pressed on time here, so I'm going to skip down to the end of the card, and then we'll we'll uh, rush down so that we can wrap up here. But I want to talk about L. Jermaine Sterling because... Uh, I thought you
2: were going to say Kevin Casey, because he looked really <laughs> good before the 11-second high
1: <laughs> I want to talk about Algermaine Sterling, because he came into the event last week saying that he had turned down a recent offer from the UFC and was going to test free agency, because as a legit top Bantamweight prospect here, uh, undefeated, who has looked very good in the UFC thus far, he's sitting on the UFC Fight Pass prelims making 14-14, and 14, and um, not happy with the offer. He didn't think the offer the UFC gave him was, was adequate, so he didn't take it. He, I, I think this was his uh, last contracted fight on this one, um, and he came out and beat another top 10 guy, top 15 guy and Johnny Eduardo in highly impressive fashion. Sterling looked great in this fight, and uh, I I, I, think it's, I think he set himself up to get paid as well.
2: Yeah, I definitely think that he uh, he deserves a, a nice paycheck coming out. He's he's one of the more intriguing young young prospects in the lighter weight divisions, and and he I think there's value in him, particularly in the UFC because they can need all the all the help they can get at 135. I wasn't as high in his performance as, as it sounds like you were. I thought that he had a little bit of difficulty sort of figuring out the riddle that was Johnny Eduardo. Um, he, you know, he wasn't doing that great in the stand up, but he got the takedown late in the first round to win that fight. He got the takedown late in the second round and then pulled out that guillotine choke and, uh, and put the fight away. I thought it was a solid win. I thought that he showed a lot of personality afterwards, uh, calling out Floyd Mayweather. I was amused by that. Um, overall, there's still aspects of his game. He needs to round out, but He's an undefeated guy, he's got a lot of personality, and it's a division where you can use sort of young guys with personality. So yeah, I I, I look forward to seeing what he does next, I think there's a lot of potential there.
1: All right, let's, uh, I'm going to run down the results quick, and you comment on, uh, give, give me some quick comments on whatever you want to touch on from Thursday's event, we'll just wrap up here. Uh, Michael Chiesa submitted Jim Miller in the second round, Sage Northcutt gets his second win, he was also the highest paid fighter on this card, by the way, in his second UFC fight. Tiago Santos defeated Elias Teodoro. Wasn't
2: was he, was he tied for someone just to be? No, he
1: up? was. He oh, he, he beat, I think Rose was second and about sixteen grand less than he made. Okay. Yeah, he made eighty grand. It was forty to show, forty to win. I think Rose was fifty-six k was her uh, overall pay. I think that was the second highest on the card. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Tim Means knocks out John Howard twenty seconds into the second round. Sergio Marias looked uh, uh, got pulled off at a big come-from-behind win over Omari Akhmedov because he had been losing that fight. Antonio Carlos Jr. eye-pokes Kevin Casey and gets a no contest 11 seconds in. Santiago Ponzinibbio looked really good against Andreas Stahl with a first-round TKO. Danny Roberts submits late replacement Nathan Coy with a, a nice triangle um in the first round. Zubaira Tukugov uh defeated Felipe Nover in a not very good fight and Kaelin Curran defeated Emily Kagan to open up with a second round submission to get her first UFC win. Um thoughts there on Thursday's card.
2: Sure. I mean as far as Kiesa and Miller goes, Kiesa was it was it was sort of an interesting uh, post fight from him. I mean, it was solid went over, over, over a good opponent. He was really pushing the idea of wanting like big fights. He was calling out the media to be ranked higher. He was calling out Dana to, to get him in some big fights. It was, it was weird. Um, uh, that whole thing. Sage Northcott, um, it, it was, it was, it was an interesting sort of story. Fister got him down in the first round and was sort of dominating throughout the round. Uh, Northcott didn't look particularly good with Fister grounding and pounding. Then there was a really terrible referee stand-up. That was some bad officiating, because he was being very active, and Northcutt sort of took over after that bad stand-up. That was sort of the uh, the difference of the fight. Thiago Santos against Elias Theodoro, I thought that was the fight that, one of the fights that stood out the most on the card. Theodoro was really doing very well in the first with a lot of, A lot of unique strikes from different angles, but he tired, and once he got tired, it was a bad situation because Thiago Santos was was brutalizing him in the second and third, just landing huge punches. Theodoro, to his credit, has a big chin, but Santos just picked the guy apart once once Theodoro slowed down. That's not that's not a guy you want to be in there with in the second third round when you're feeling tired, because Santos. Santos put it on him. Uh to means very impressive KO over uh, over John Howard. Not a lot more to say about that. Um against uh, against Moraes, I agree with you. I thought he was down against uh, Akhmadov, although that was a relatively competitive fight before he scored the late uh TKO. Uh Casey and Carlos, not much to say there with the eye poke. Um Santiago Ponce Nevio, I thought he was one of the most impressive performers on the show. He just destroyed Andre Stahl completely one sided fight. Uh, Danny Roberts, uh, the submission over Nathan Coy, I felt sort of disappointed. I felt bad for Nathan Coy. He's a, a veteran getting up there in age. He's been fighting all over the place for a very long period of time. Finally got his UFC debut and did not look particularly good. Um, I was surprised that, that, that Tukugov only got a split decision against Felipe Nover. I had Tukagov winning fairly handily.
1: That was uh, just a bad scorecard. 29-28 Nover was just a bad scorecard.
2: Yeah completely agree and then uh Kyle Curran had a uh, pretty solid amount of supporters live and uh picked up the win against emily kagan Curran's another fighter that i think is is, is pretty marketable she just comes across as as very likable um and uh in i think i think in general women's mma tends to be a little well i guess men's mma is also personality driven but i think women's mma is even more so than M- men's mma is is personality driven and Curran um, Corona has something that I think connects with people and she came across well in the opener and picking up a, uh, a, a solid one.
1: That is uh that's the end of our show today, Todd. Thank you for uh, joining me. I, I, I always uh, enjoy uh, chatting with you after these big events and uh, definitely had a lot to talk about out of that massive UFC 194 card on Saturday night. So um, uh, again, Thank you for joining me. I always enjoy these conversations. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Uh, we will be back again, I'm sure, sometime early in January to chat about UFC 195. So, uh, Todd, thank you once more. Have a good rest of your day. Everyone listening in, thank you. And uh, we will be back Thursday night with another MMA Torch podcast uh, to preview UFC on Fox 17 from Orlando this Saturday. So for Todd Martin, this is Jamie Pennick signing off.